morning to you, church. And uh, if you have your scriptures, you can turn with me to Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. Um, got kind of wrapped up in that moment there. And uh, I hope you know, like our heart this morning um, is that beyond any song that we sing, uh, anything that you hear me say today, any experience that you have on our campus this morning, um, our greatest desire is for you to hear the voice of God speaking peace over your life this morning. And um, I just love that, as, as Stephanie just kind of let out, and just that testimony for us, because this is what God wants to do. God is not a God of chaos. Uh, God is not a God of restlessness. God is a God that comes into the midst uh, of the darkest of moments and says, do not be afraid. And he speaks peace into each and every heart here in this place. And that's been my prayer over these last few weeks, just as, uh, as I knew that God was preparing me to speak. And I'm grateful for Pastor Mercer just giving me the opportunity, as always. I just ask you to be praying for he and Pam. They are worshiping this morning at uh, Redemption Hill Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, where Brandon Mercer, their son, is the pastor there. And so, uh, as many of you know, they've been a part of Cross Life. That's a church that, uh, that we had the opportunity to come alongside and partner and plant. Um, also this morning, uh, towards the end of our service uh, in Los Angeles, California, um, Echo Church uh, will be having their launch service, their first service as a church. And uh, if you remember, um, and maybe you're new and, and you don't know this, that is a church that uh, a few years ago at Global Impact Conference that we as a church came alongside and said that we were gonna partner with to plant a church in Los Angeles, California. And so they start their services today uh, as a body of Christ. And so Pastor Doug Osborne is out there to celebrate with them today. So just, it's exciting what God is doing and how God is multiplying his church uh, across the globe. And, uh, and in doing that, God has a message for his church and he has a message for us this morning, the title of the message is just, What Do You Fear? That's the question that's on the table, which naturally just leads into the question of, what are you afraid of? And, and, and so we can answer that in a lot of different ways. Um, some of you are afraid of the dark. Uh, some of you are afraid of clowns. Um, I shared in first service, I hadn't quite figured out that fear yet, but that's you and um, no judgment um, for me on that. My daughter is afraid of snakes. Um, anybody afraid of snakes in the room? So, okay, a few of you. Uh, a couple summers ago, she and Jacob were in Albany, Georgia with my mom, uh, just kind of spending time with grandmother, and they have something that's called the Flint River Aquarium there, and so they went to go visit it, just kind of trying to pass time, uh, and, and walked in, and now, mind you, these are not snakes that are just slithering around on the ground. It's not like they're dropping them from the ceiling on top of people. They're behind glass, um, completely secure. They're not gonna come after you. They walked into this room where the snakes were. It was the first room that they walked into, and uh, Emma Grace lost it, uh, screaming, yelling, uh, to the point where they had to leave. Like, they didn't even get through the rest of the river aquarium. And I remember we called uh, later on that day. Jacob picked up the phone, and I just said, hey, how's it going, buddy? And he said, Emma Grace ruined the day. And, um, and so... Uh, I was like, okay, and so, um, so that is, that's something that she's afraid of. For me, um, and, and these are both just trivial, dumb things, um, I'm afraid of ladders. Uh, I don't wanna get on a ladder, I don't wanna step one foot on a ladder, um, so if you have work that requires me getting on a ladder that you need help with, don't call me. Um, I'm, not, I'm not doing that, I, I don't know, it's just one of those things. Other thing that I'm afraid of, and I know 
I, like, I apologize in advance for this. I, I don't necessarily like cats. Um, and, um, you know, first service gave a little bit more ooze and ahs to that. So thank you for your grace in that. And so, uh, but you know, there's just something about it, childhood trauma, I guess, from a cat at some point in my life. And, and so these are just, just a couple of things. And, you know, I was looking it up because we're all afraid of, of things like that. Just different things. And so I looked up the definition of afraid. And afraid just means to be filled with, with apprehension. Uh, that would be like me getting on the ladder. It means to be filled with concern or regret over an unwanted situation. That would be a cat jumping in my lap. And, um, you know, or having a dislike for something. So that, that's what it means to be afraid. But the question on the table this morning is not just what are you afraid of, but it is what do you fear? Because fear is a completely different thing. Fear, the definition, is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. And fear seeps into our lives, and it seeps into our hearts, and it cripples us. It keeps us from taking a step forward. And so what is it this morning that you would say in, in a kind of an honest reflection, not before me, but before God Almighty, God, this is what I am fearful of right now in my life today. This is what I'm looking at, and I get an unpleasant, strong emotion that is caused by an anticipation or an awareness of danger. And this is what I'm carrying with me. And it is crippling me, and it is paralyzing me. Dean and Sarah, he's the lead pastor of City Church in Tallahassee. I read this this week from him on Twitter. He just said, fear is and can be quite the drug. But he goes on and says that God regularly speaks against it in the scriptures and points us to himself instead. He knows us. If 2020 were gonna be identified or defined in any certain way, 2020 is the year of the pandemic. It's the year of the protest, and it is the year of politics. So when you take 2020, it's like that, that's a good 20 years wrapped up into 12 months, and, and it is consisted of a pandemic and protest and politics, all of which bring fear into our lives. In the pandemic, it's the fear of health. It's the fear of, of a loss of a job, and how am I gonna make it, and how are we gonna get through this as a family? In the midst of the protest, it's the fear of where is my place in the societal structure and what is going on and how culture is setting itself up right now. In politics, it is the fear of what does the future for my life and the lives of those around me actually hold. And church, I just wanna put this on the table for us this morning and just say that when it comes to the place of fear in our lives, that Jesus is not the author of fear. That Jesus is not the one who brings a fear that cripples. That Jesus is not the one who brings a fear that would paralyze. And that as the church of Jesus Christ, that fear has no place in our midst and in our lives. The church in Smyrna has been given the message of do not be afraid. So why was it that they didn't need to be afraid? Suffering, persecution, martyrdom, all different things that they were facing. And it's all things that the church of Jesus Christ has faced from its infancy and will face until the very end of time, until Jesus comes back. 
We see in the life of this first century church uh, that Christ was pleased with them. From the outside looking in, it didn't look like much. They didn't have the prestige of Ephesus. They didn't have the wealth and prosperity of Laodicea, but they did have a love and passion for Christ. And as we look at this church this morning, this church and Philadelphia are the only two of the seven churches where the Lord has no word of criticism or correction. And so it's a church that we can learn from. It's a church whose example, and I believe this here this morning, just it was so real as I just sat there just praying before I came up that there are those who have come into the room this morning that are carrying the weight and the burden of fear on your shoulders, on your back. It has it, it seeped into the midst of your family, into the midst of your relationships, and in the midst of your relationship with God Almighty. And what God is seeking to do here in this place is to speak peace and for us to see the example of this church to draw strength in the, in the moment here today, but in the days ahead for all of us who will have to take up our cross and follow after Jesus. And in doing so, this letter starts with the first thing there. If you're taking notes, just if you want to follow along with us here, you can do that on the app, or, or if you printed your notes out, you can do this. But the first thing I want us to see is there is an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. There's the acknowledgement of who Jesus is because what we're going to have to do and what we're gonna to have to kind of walk together with in this process is to take our gaze and our eyes off of the things that are bringing fear into our lives and to fix them on Jesus. And so you may be new to church this morning saying to yourself, well, I'm not really certain about this Jesus guy. Well, so we wanna tell you who he is. And scripture lays it out here because there's just this acknowledgement that the passion that the passage gives of who Jesus is. It says in verse eight, it says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Smyrna is modern Izmir. It's the only one of the seven cities in Revelation two and three that is still in existence. It was a proud and beautiful city it had coins that were inscribed on it with the, these words, first in Asia in beauty and size. But in the midst of the community, there were temples that were made to pagan gods, people such as Apollos or Aphrodite or Zeus that, that kind of filled the landscape. It also was closely tied in, into the Roman government and they experienced imperial worship, imperial cult worship, where they would worship the emperor. This city gained the right to build the first temple to honor Caesar, who reigned during the time when Jesus was crucified. So you have all of this that is going on, pagan gods, Roman government, and then you also have an influential Jewish population that is in the city. So Smyrna had all the ingredients for a hostile environment for the church to exist. And so into that, this letter comes. And so the church is in need of encouragement. It was persecuted, it was suffering, and things were going to get worse is what we're gonna see here later on. So John takes them back to the vision of the glorified Christ in Revelation 1 and verses nine through 20, specifically verses 17 through 18, where it just says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So if we're going to approach fear in this life, there is gonna have to be an acknowledgement and an understanding of who Jesus is and why fear cannot exist in that space. 
And so this passage brings it to light. It just says, first, that Jesus is eternal. That Jesus is eternal. He's described as the first and the last. These are the titles used of God in Isaiah 44, 6, when it says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. In Isaiah 48, 12, it says, listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. The emphasis here is on his sovereignty, that he is the eternal Lord over all of history and he will have the last word. Now, I don't know if you're like me and you find yourselves in arguments or in debates from time to time and you like to have the last word. Anybody like to have the last word here? If you're sitting next to your spouse, you may not wanna raise your hand in that. But no, like, like we're always looking for that. Culture is seeking to do that. The culture around us wants to have the final word. But what we see and what it's the church we need to begin to grab hold of and walk in the truth of is that we will not have the final word. It is Christ and Christ alone who had the first word and he's gonna have the final word and he has all the words because he's sovereign over everything. There is not a circumstance or a situation in which Jesus was not aware of, in which Jesus has not been prepared for. I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up on January 1st, 2020 and write down on my calendar that on March 15th, we were gonna have to start making decisions that, that consisted of what do you do and how do you do church in the midst of a global pandemic. If you had that on your calendar, please come find me. I would love to just hang out with you. Nobody did that. None of us knew what was coming. But here's the thing this morning, while we have all set and at times wondered, what are we going to do? What is the next best step that we need to take? Where is it that we need to go? How do we need to handle this? In every question that we ask, Jesus stood over our lives and said, I knew this was coming. I'm in the midst of this being here and I know what is to come in my name. Jesus knows because he is in control of it all and he's the God that we can trust, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and for all time because he holds it all in his hands because Jesus is eternal. The city of Smyrna may have laid claim to be the first in Asia, but it is Christ who is first and is last. He is eternal, but also, not only is he eternal, but Jesus has risen. So from the deity of Christ, we move to the humanity of Christ, when it says the one who is dead and came to life. The former emphasized his authority over time, now we see an emphasis in his authority over death and life. See, Jesus experienced death for us, a far more severe death than any human will ever know. He bore the full wrath of judgment for the sins of the world from God Almighty. He was subject to slander and persecution, imprisonment, rejection and death. Jesus has walked this walk. He has walked this road, but Jesus came to life. Jesus conquered. Jesus won. So as we start to evaluate the different things in which we are going through, we need to look at it through the lens, not of those who are trying to gain victory, but for those who are victorious in Jesus' name. Because like Christ, this church, our church, we know the church in Smyrna did, but this church too, we may walk the road of persecution and suffering. We may travel that, <clears throat> even to an unjust death. But Jesus' call here for us this morning is not to lose heart. Because Paul told us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus lives and we live with him. 
So there is no reason for fear to gain a foothold in our lives. So Jesus, eternal and risen, we then comes in in verse nine and we start to see the appraisal of the church's present standing. Look at verse nine, it just says, I know. You can underline that, that word there, I know. It, it just, I just wanna stop there real quick. Once again, nobody here today is in a situation where you're gonna surprise God with anything. Anything that's going on in your life, anything that you're experiencing, any trouble or trial or struggle that you're experiencing, Jesus is here in the midst saying, I know. Just like he said to this church, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. So in the, these verses, Jesus begins to give an appraisal of just kind of where the church is, just acknowledging a few things about where they stood, and in doing so also gives this approval of what it is that they're going through. We see first, right at the bat, this idea of sacrifice and how the sacrifice that they, they had was essential. He says they were poor. That word poor meaning abject poverty, possessing absolutely nothing. And they were poor because they refused to compromise. They, they understood that in where they were and, and in what they were called to do, that there could be no place for compromise to say that Caesar is Lord. But it goes on and says they were rich. They were rich because they lived for things of eternal value things that would never change, things that can never be taken away. And their suffering for Christ increased their riches. They were experiencing economic, physical, religious, social opposition. They were marked out, they were ostracized, they experienced economic boycott, they were misrepresented. And what the church in Smyrna did is they paid a price. It cost them to take their stand for Jesus. There was real sacrifice in remaining faithful to Christ. But Christ didn't see them as poor. Christ saw them as rich. Materially, they had little. But spiritually, they had everything. And they had everything because they understood in their call to follow Christ that it was a call of sacrificial living, that it was a call to sacrifice everything. And I think sometimes we in the church in America lose sight of what that actually means. Like for us sometimes, the sacrifice is that we don't hit the snooze button and that we actually wake up to attend. Sacrifice is not attending. Sacrifice is giving everything. Sacrifice is setting it all aside. Setting aside what the, our friends may think of us, what our family may think of us, what, what other people may think of us, what the world may do to us. And it's saying, no, whatever the world may throw at me, nothing stands in the place of what Jesus has done for me. And so I'm gonna set it all aside. I'm gonna give it all up. And as a church today, if we're gonna make our way through fear, the only way to make it through fear is to sacrifice. Because one of the things that we, we lean on far too often is the crippling aspect of fear becomes a crutch for us. And what Jesus has called us to do is to set aside the crutch and to grab a hold of him. To let go of the paralyzing nature of fear and to hold on to him. I've shared this before. Um, I like to be in control. Anybody that knows me, I heard a couple staff guys laugh. I don't know what to think about that. And, um, but I, I, I'd like to be in control. I like to, 
to make things happen and do things my way. Um, I've also shared that, that I'm a diabetic. In 2011, um, if you remember, the, the swine flu was going around then. And so I, I was a youth pastor at the time, and so I was around students everywhere, in any place, in any situation, and, and found myself sick all of a sudden. I didn't know what was going on. I was like violently ill and, and was laying in bed and like got to the place where I couldn't breathe anymore. I checked my blood sugar and it was, we have doctors and nurses here, I'm not gonna tell you what it was. It wasn't good. And, and so Nan um, is pregnant with immigration at the time, puts me in the car, rushes me off to the emergency room. We get in the emergency room, we're trying to explain to them what's going on. Actually, we, I'm not explaining anything. Nan's explaining what's going on. And I just like, I like lay down. There's a coffee table there in the emergency room. I just laid down on it. And I uh, was like, just come see me here. So they take me back. And, um, and, and I mean, it was a serious situation at the time. And the doctors just kind of explained what was going on with my body and, and how close we were uh, to me losing my life in that moment. Later on that, that night, they had taken me up. I was in ICU, hooked up to all sorts of different things, and, um, and I had, had just continued to have like struggles through that. Nan has been in the room with me. My mom had been in the room. I had a couple friends that came up. And I, I just, in my stubbornness, um, and this is just who I am, and, and it's the fault of my life, I just told everybody to leave and, um, and just found myself in the darkness and isolation of an ICU room thinking I'm about to die, and this is it. And uh, I'm not gonna see my daughter be born, I'm not gonna experience uh, what that's like. And I just remember I was crippled in that moment. And I started to ask those questions in that crippling moment. Man, God, what, what is this about, and where are you? And, and like all these messages I've ever preached about your sovereignty and about your grace and about your power, and now you're just absentee in my life. And the fear had taken hold of me. And about that time, when I was like the most alone I've ever been in my life, the nurse came in, which those of you that have ever been in a hospital room, you know, happens a lot. And as she came in, and she's giving me a shot, and she's doing some other stuff to try to like help me out and help me breathe and stuff, all of a sudden her phone goes off. And that old Chris Tomlin song, it wasn't old at the time, it's old now, just Our God came on. I just started hearing, our God is greater, our God is stronger, and if our God is for us, and what could ever stand against us? And I realized in that moment, and God just spoke so powerfully into the midst of that darkness and penetrated my fear in that moment to say in the acknowledgement of who Jesus is, that he's present, he's eternal, he's risen, that the call of that is to sacrifice. And so death may have met me that night, but I didn't need to fear death. I needed to sacrifice my wanting to hold on and control every aspect of my life and surrender it before, before Jesus. And, and I'll tell you, it's a powerful thing to sit face to face and have God just come and intervene and interject in the midst of your story and to say everything, you know, like sometimes I think we think that we're sacrificing. We think that we're trusting. 
And then when the moment of chaos hits, then we start to try to like grab hold of everything and hold it all together. I couldn't do that in that moment. And the first time in my life, I, I finally had to let go of everything and Jesus came in and entered in and started to hold on. James 2.5 says this, says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? See, here's the thing. I shared my story because I wouldn't even go into persecution or suffering or anything, but, but I had to sacrifice some things that night before the Lord. There's some of you that are here this morning that you're gonna have to come to that place. And there are sacrifices when it comes to following Jesus. But as the church of old would tell us and as the saints of old would tell us and as people that you know would tell you is that it is worth it because he is worth it all. So we see that sacrifice was essential. We also see that spiritual warfare was present. He talks about the synagogue of Satan. These were descendants of Abraham that, that he's talking about by physical birth, but not by spiritual birth. In John 8, 44, there's words that are similar. Jesus says of those unbelieving Jews, he says, you are your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desire. So we see in this that physical heritage has no indication of spiritual standing. So this, this, these people were hostile. They were bent on persecuting the followers of Christ. And so these, these Jews here were being used as tools uh, of Satan. And Satan is the ultimate enemy that we have. This is why we have to, to, to start understanding that any fear that we face, that it is a byproduct of the voice of Satan seeking to come into our lives and to interject the voice of the enemy and the adversarial voice uh, into, into our, our scope of living. Because fear stands in direct contradiction to who Christ is. We sing that song all the time. No, no fear of death, no fear of man. Why? Because it's the power of Christ in me. And so Satan is seeking to come and to knock us off of that sure footing and of that foundation. It's why Paul wrote so extensively on, on the armor of God and how we need to put it on. Why? So that we can stand. Stand not in our own strength, but stand in the power of Christ because spiritual warfare is a real thing. Satan is going to come and seek to attack. Satan is going to come and seek to, to bring fear into your heart and into your life. Why? So that you won't move forward in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the declaration and the testimony that we have would be silenced. So we have to note spiritual warfare is present. He's writing this here, just kind of giving this appraisal, but then ultimately the suffering was inevitable. Verse 10 flows logically and naturally from verse nine. There's a command to trust and a promise of suffering. The admonition there is don't be afraid. And it's just calling believers and calling the church to stop fearing what you are about to suffer. Like they anticipated it and Jesus promises it. He's saying there, look, the devil is gonna throw some of you into prison. You're gonna be there. He assures them that the accuser is gonna try to harm them, but that Christ is going to use the devil's intention to bring refining into their life and to reveal their faith, loyalty, and love for Christ. He says that they'll have affliction for 10 days. That's symbolic there of a definite but a limited period of time. And Jesus is just saying that he's allowing it and he's gonna control it for its duration. Suffering is inevitable. I just think it's, there's a word here <coughs> about the future of the church, especially here in America. Those of us that, that are here in America, we have to be prepared for the jarring truth that just as in Revelation 2, 9, 
and Smyrna in the first century that those who oppose and reject Christianity are going to oppose and persecute us. Not only are they gonna say that we are wrong, but they're gonna say that we're bigoted, that we're dangerous, that we are evil. We're going to be slandered as anti-choice, anti-diversity, anti-inclusion, anti-intolerance. This is coming. You can, you can anticipate economic boycotts, you can anticipate government restrictions, you can anticipate social ostracism. You say, well, that doesn't seem real encouraging, Tim. It's coming. More severe persecution and even imprisonment is gonna likely be our experience. You say, well, how do you know that, Tim? Because Christ tells us that it is coming. He, he, he says that this is a reality that is going to come, that it is inevitable. Not only is it inevitable, but it's already taking place with our brothers and sisters, followers of Christ around the world. And it is going to come to America. So then you say, well, what should our response be to that? Should we run and hide? Should, should we you know, close up ranks? Should we you know, fortify ourselves with you know, a, a moat around the church? Um, I don't think we should do a moat. I don't, that just kind of came to my mind. No, he, here, our response should be exactly what we see here in Revelation 2. Do not be afraid and expect it. We should receive it from the hands of a sovereign God who is testing and pruning and refining your faith and my faith. Like, like, this is the beauty of this. Understand this. So if Jesus is eternal and Jesus is risen and that's who we're gonna put our faith and we're gonna put our trust in and that's who we're gonna follow after, then what that also reasons for us in this morning is that the things that he has told us are true. So this is the beauty of this. There's nobody else that does this. Like I was in student ministry for 18 years. There were times as a student pastor where I wanted students to come to things that I knew were gonna be boring. But I told them, you're gonna love it. <laughs> no, I, and, and they were like, yeah, Tim, I didn't really love that. I was like, man, I'm sorry, but I needed you here. And so, so no, like, like nobody does that. Nobody says, hey, come and get on this ride. And when you get on this ride, it's gonna flip you upside down and you're gonna fall out of the roller coaster. Nobody does that. No, but Jesus says, come and follow me. <clears throat> and in doing so, he tells us that suffering is going to come and lets us know that, that it is on the table and that it lies ahead of us. But in doing so, he says, don't be afraid of it. Expect it, it's coming, it's inevitable. But here's the beauty of it. While suffering is inevitable, our savior is even more inevitable. He is over the suffering. He is over the persecution. He is over the hardship and the troubles and the trials that we face. He is over it all. And in the end, Jesus is gonna stand glorified, eternal, and risen over every single thing that we've ever faced or experienced in this life. There are those who have been martyred for their faith, beaten, killed, tortured, and I'm sure in the moment, would have sat there and like if you could go back and, and like read their thoughts, they're experiencing pain and anguish. But at the end of it all, on the other side was the glory of a risen Christ awaiting them saying, well done, good and faithful servant. They didn't come to the end of it and say, man, why did I have to go through that? They came to the end of it and said, there is a Jesus 
that I gave everything for. And so it is inevitable for you and for me. But James 1, 2 through 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it pure joy. Do not be afraid. Expect it. And so I love it because this passage does this. Like it, it, it puts it out there, right in the middle of it. You're gonna have to give everything up. There's gonna be spiritual warfare and suffering is inevitable. But on the front end of it, there's an acknowledgement, hey, this is, this is Jesus. The first and the last, eternal, risen. And then it comes in this last part, there's a promise given to the church. Look at verse 10 again, it says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The church is getting this much needed word of encouragement. And it's a twofold promise that the church can count on because it comes from Jesus. Like the, the message here that the Lord doesn't say tribulation is coming, so suck it up. The Lord doesn't say hard times are coming, so deal with it. That's not the message. I, I want to remind us of something that I shared when we were going through the book of Matthew together, specifically from a message I preached from Matthew chapter 10 on the idea that if we want to follow Christ's pattern in the face of fear, that, that there's going to be sacrifice that exists in that. Verse 28 of Matthew 10 gives us kind of the reasoning behind that and behind the courage that we're to have. It just says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus knows that we're gonna be tempted to fear man and to be intimidated by what people can do to us. However, it's not man that we need to fear. God's the ultimate judge. God is the one who holds eternity in our hands. And so when Jesus is talking to his disciples here, he's essentially telling them, don't be afraid of man. The worst that they can do to you is kill you. That, that, that's the worst. And we might think, man, what kind of encouragement is that? Like, what is all of that about? But if we begin to look at it through the lens of the resurrected Christ, then we begin to be encouraged by what that's saying because we start to realize that, no, that we died with Christ and are now risen with Christ as believers in him. Our focus is on things of eternity. So there's nothing that man can do to us that matters. I think the church of old and those you know, early builders of the church that they feared man so little because they feared God so much. They were fixated on God. And when you and I turn our eyes to him, that we can stand boldly in front of people that we previously would have been afraid to and stand strong in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. So what do we have to fear? We have this promise here. And it's just a promise that the church receives here the first is the crown of life. There's the crown of life. He says, be faithful unto death. Jesus kind of exhorting them here, and he says that he'll give you the crown of life or the victor's crown. The crown of life is just a reward for those who have put their faith in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. You look, crowns are mentioned a number of times in the Bible. I think it's just instructive to kind of look at their occurrences. There's the crown of life here in Revelation 2. There's a crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4, 8. There's a crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4. There's a crown of gold in Revelation 
4.4. There's a crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, and there's a crown of incorruption in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Each of these, in some ways, drawing attention to the blessings that are ours in Christ. It's just directing us to what we have in salvation. And notice there, none of this um, outside of the crown of gold, which is something that we receive at the end of our life, it's not anything that you can like put in a bank account or hide in a safety deposit box or hang up on a wall. It's, not, it's, it's life, <clears throat> it's righteousness, glory, rejoicing, incorruption. It's all the things that we receive when we receive salvation. It's everything. There's nothing that this world can offer to you that, that Christ it, it, it has not already given and given abundantly more. Nothing that's on the table from the world that is more than what Jesus is offering to us here. It's the crown of life. And, and so that would have resonated for the church in Smyrna because this was awarded at athletic games in which they participated in. And it's just the Lord coming here to this church and reassuring his people that there was nothing to fear. They trusted in him. They were overcomers. They were victors in the race of faith. James 1.12 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there's the crown of life that is received, which is eternal life. Eternal life. There's something far worse than physical death and it is spiritual and eternal death. It's what they're referencing here when it says the second death. In Revelation 20, 14, it's called the lake of fire. It's another way to describe hell. In Revelation 21, 8, we're told who experiences this second death. It says, but the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake of fire, or in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And it's the second death from which Christ came to rescue us. Revelation 26 tells us because of Christ, this death has no power over us. So the question to this morning is just this, what do you fear? Because John's challenge is just this, is are you listening? Because the Spirit is speaking this truth to his churches over and over again in these letters. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're being called this morning not to just listen to music or listen to a message, but to listen to the Spirit of God who is coming into our midst saying, what is it that you fear? What is it that is paralyzing you and is crippling you? What is it that is holding you back? What is it that is keeping you from walking as an overcomer in the name of Jesus? Because he understand this, that while we may make it from December 31st to January 1, from 2020 to 2021, it doesn't mean that on the stroke of midnight that everything just disappears and goes away. A pandemic will still be around. Protests will still be apart. Politics, Lord help us all, is gonna continue to be here and to be a part of the fabric of our lives. And so it's always gonna be there. And we have a choice to make and the Spirit of God has entered into our midst and is saying, listen to this. What is it do you fear? What is it that is holding you? Just simply for us to say, man, I'm gonna set all that aside because I wanna live in the face of this world as an overcomer in Jesus Christ because he's the one. 
So while from 2020 to 2021, nothing may change, man, Jesus is present. He's present in the midst of the suffering. He's present in the midst of the pandemic. He's present in the midst of all of the politics. He's present in every single step that we take. So will we fear man or will we fear God and fix our eyes on Jesus? I'll close with this this morning. My kids, both of them, Jacob and Emma Grace, one of the things I loved to do when they were little was to just kind of hold them in my arms and, and to put my forehead up against their forehead and just kind of get nose to nose, eye to eye with them. This is when they're babies too, not at, they're nine and seven now, we don't do this now. Um, my son would headbutt me if we did that now. But to just get as close as I possibly could to them and to just kinda, like, we're both breathing together. You may say, you may think that sounds weird. Um, they're my kids, so I can, I can do that. But just right there, just for them to know, like, how present I am in their life. And how close I am. Just so they didn't have to be afraid of anything. It's right before bed, right before we put them down. Just as close as we could get. And here this morning, I think Jesus has come into our midst and he's just grabbed us by our faces and is wanting to get forehead to forehead with us. To just know his closeness and to know that we do not have to be afraid. That there is nothing that we have to fear. That we can stand in the presence of Christ in all time, for all time. So what is it that you fear? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I know in a message like this and in a service like this, we got some people that have come into the room this morning and this idea of, of a second death, and you're, you're hearing this and thinking, man, I, I'm headed to that. I wanna be sensitive to that. And I, I just wanna tell you, man, Jesus has come into the, to your midst. He's interjected himself into your story and he says, he, he wants to bring you to life. He's saying, come to me. So if you would just this morning say, man, I need Jesus. I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm not a believer in Jesus. I wanna believe and confess Jesus as Lord right now. You can just do this. Just simply say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to set me free from fear and to bring me to life in your name. I need you to come, forgive me, cleanse me, hold me, and lead me for the rest of my life. I want you, Jesus. I'm gonna set it all aside and grab hold of you. And if that's you here in this room, and we wanna celebrate with you, we wanna come alongside you, you can just check that box 
there on the welcome card just says, I, I've decided to give my life to Christ today. Please do that so we can be praying for you and come and serve you and walk with you as a church. But I also know, man, there's people here in the room and you, you are living in fear right now. 2020 has overtaken and the events of the calendar of the year are looming large over your life. I think just this morning, Jesus just wants to come and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Take your eyes off of all of that and fix it on me. Sense and know my presence. And he's just saying, peace, be still. Peace over your life. He's going before you. He's standing with you. He's coming behind you. Anchor your life in him this morning. So Father, here in this place, God, I just ask, Lord, that you would just come and intervene. Intervene in people's stories, God, in ways that only you can. God, you know people's hearts. I just ask, Lord, that you would just illuminate the darkness of fear with the presence of Christ. God, and that the words of Jesus, do not be afraid. God would do a powerful, powerful work of freedom here so that we as your church can be sent out, sent out in the midst of the suffering, sent out in the midst of the persecution, sent out in the midst of the unknown. God, not as those not understanding, but God, those who are walking in the truth that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.